1: In this special episode, Rob Moore and Mark Homer, Progressive co-founders, sit down to discuss the journey of Progressive and all things property. Rob and Mark set up Progressive 15 years ago. The industry has changed, the economy has changed, the world has changed a lot since then. Rob and Mark have worked on hundreds of property deals, had to navigate through recessions, booms and busts in the economy. And obviously a lot has changed since the pandemic and Rob and Mark had to innovate and change their business once again. In this exclusive special episode, Rob and Mark reveal everything. What they're working on right now, what the future holds, and how new and established property investors can keep pushing forward in these difficult times. So let's just get straight into the episode with Mark Homer and Rob Moore. Well, we have multiple businesses.
0: So we have our property company, we have the training company, and we have the the brand. So I'll talk about the the training company. Obviously, we've had a pretty sh- big shock in the last two years-ish with COVID. <coughs> can't say the word, you might get censored. Locked, <coughs> lockdowns and vaccines. <coughs> and actually, I mean... <coughs> In the training company alone, we must have had 75, 80 of us in the team with the letting agency as well. That was probably 90 plus. So keeping everyone employed and keeping the training business going and keeping the thousands of clients having their mentoring and moving it all online was a big undertaking. I'm actually really proud of how we managed to navigate through that. Um, so really, it's been about getting the training company back where it was. I mean, we became the, the biggest yet the most engaged community training company a good few years ago, if you measure turnover and number of clients. And then I sort of stopped tracking it because I was obsessive about that in, back in the day, looking at everyone's turnover, and looking at the size of their communities, Wanted to be the biggest. So now really, I guess it's just about helping more and more people start and scale their property investing company, invest for freedom choice and profit, and, and you know be able to run those 850 events a year that we used to before lockdown Um, and and try and reach as many people in the UK. We were actually about to launch in, I think Hong Kong, Singapore, and other countries around the world. And we had to obviously pause that, you you know, with, um... (coughs) Um, so now it would be nice if we could fire that back up again. Seriously, mate, if you say that word on YouTube, shut down. Mark, why don't you answer the property bit? Where do you see us with the property companies in the next fifteen years? Um, I,
2: yeah, this is this is sort of um, largely government-led. Uh, I didn't used to think this, but you know, if we look back. Uh, over all of our businesses, I think the biggest changes have come when the government have introduced new legislation, um, or they
0: yeah, <laughs> I mean
2: they shut our training business down. You know, in, in 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 a reasonably large part. Obviously, we went online and and did lots online. But um, with the property businesses, Section Twenty Four came along. Um, we've had loads of sort of new landlord legislation um, and lots of legislation around finance and PRA. So I think it's down to them how um, those businesses sort of change, you know, rents are going up strongly at the moment, largely because of their sort of taxation and uh, regulatory policies towards landlords, certainly residential landlords. Um, But yeah, I I mean, in terms of are are they suddenly going to release a load of land for building Uh, no because the planning system is still really restrictive Uh, Boris had a bit of a go at it but um, then there was a by-election and he got his ass beat um, so he's already run away from that Um, are they going to start building lots of green belts well some of it but I don't think there's going to be any sort of mass expansion so without lots more property and without a, a lot more supply I think the rents continue going up and I think the property values continue going up Clearly, interest rates um, are one of the biggest drivers in investment property, um, and they're on an upward trajectory. Um, do I think inflation is going to be at sort of seven percent uh, forever? No, we had a huge supply side no, shock. At
0: fifteen,
2: <laughs> <laughs> factories shut, shop shut, you know, and um, and and most of the service sector, a lot of the service sector, shut as well. So. All those industries are still catching up, and when the supply, um, as you know, in, in a large part, returns to normal, as it has done uh, to a large part already, um, prices, I think, will settle down as long as sort of wages don't sort of get out of out of hand. But the the Bank of England made a, uh, governor made a comment about that last week. I think he he told people to, told people to stop asking for wage rises, which I, I quite liked, um, uh, yeah. although it, yeah. it created yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it created some controversy. So yeah, in terms of um, in terms of the, the the sort of rental market, I think there's you know there's more and more residential demand uh, for for property because it's it's renting is becoming more and more acceptable. Um, You know, and there's higher level or or better quality um accommodation available now. We've just finished a a PRS block. Um, That's a a sort of large-scale block that's been funded um, in in large part by investment funds from the government. Um, because they're encouraging these sort of large blocks as has just been valued at just under 19 million it's got over 150 people living in there and it's really really good quality and this sort of different um, different, uh, d- d- different type of product uh, a more sort of um, broken down maybe a, a more interior designed product with services on site and lots of uh, different amenities that, that people can use. I think that is certainly creating a shift in the, in the younger generations into more long-term renting, a little bit more like Europe or, or in uh, some parts of the US. Um, and uh, I think there's going to be more investment in that PRS space. Uh, industrial is clearly really strong as well. Um, the, the shift from online... Uh, sorry, the shift from retail to online uh, is still happening. The pandemic sped it up, but uh, I suspect we've got a, a, a lot, uh, you know, a lot more years of that to come. Um, so yeah, exciting times. Loads of change. The pandemic's created massive change. Am I even allowed to say that word? I think. Beep! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and. Um, Yeah, I I think that all all these changes have been sped up by by what's happened in the last couple of years.
0: Mark and I had a chat this morning and, you know, obviously, there's some things that we talk about that are are personal Mm. and private matters. But what I can tell you, in a sense, what we said was we have a large portfolio now, very large, one that 15 years ago when we started, we probably wouldn't have really dreamt we'd be able to have in terms of its size. And, you know, we can live off and retire off that income, the net income from that for life. So we don't see the need to buy 10,000 properties in the next three or five or 10 years um, because many people want to start living off their income. And we've reinvested a lot of our profits over the years, which I think is good. But sometimes you can keep reinvesting reinvesting and reinvesting and reinvesting and reinvesting and reinvesting. Um, And what's it all for? And, you know, we've both turned 40 in the last three years. So for sure, we've got a big enough portfolio. We won't need to buy another property again. And we probably will. Um, But, you know, we've probably got enough property. We're probably pretty well um, concentrated in that. And and maybe we'll look at digital assets. Maybe we'll look at different types of property and real estate that we haven't invested in. Because we started on single lets, then multi lets then offices like these, and then small conversion projects, then big conversion projects, then really big Mm. conversion projects. Like, you couldn't get a bigger crane in Mm. this city than we had on our big developments. So, um, you know, people are always asking me in my communities, when is it ever enough? Well, I don't think we'll ever stop, but it is enough. Like, we don't have to keep going, and you don't have to keep going. Um, Anyway, that was question one. We've got another 22 to go, haven't we?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Right, did you ever imagine you could create a property education powerhouse
2: that has led to the way we bought the education? 2008 um, was when we started this business but prior to that we'd, we'd been running about a year and I didn't envisage this at all. We started buying little terraced houses for investors um, and I remember Rob saying one afternoon, what we need to do is put a one day course on, get loads of investors in a room, teach them a load of stuff about how to buy these little houses and at the end of the day they'll probably go yeah there's lots to do here can you guys just do it for us so that's what happened and we started um, to sort of teach people how to go out and find below market value properties and refurb them and and then sort of you know rent them out. And some people went off and did that, but of course, quite a few just said, yeah, guys, can you do this for me? You've got, got this service. And by then they knew what we were doing, uh, by then they knew we knew what we were doing because we'd, we'd sort of taught them all this stuff through the day. Um, and um, that, 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 that was fine, but sort of during that period, quite a few people would come up to us at the end of each training session and sort of go, well, that's really great, but I I need loads of deposits and, you know, fees to join your service. Um, What I really want to do is have a more in-depth sort of course and, you know, more specific to, you know, what it is, um, you know, I want to buy. Could you just um, teach me how to do this, but, you know, on a three-day course or on a one-week course or, you know, do you have courses on how to sort of rent rooms out or do you have courses on, you know, maybe how to, um, you know, sort of convert buildings and, and, and various other stuff. So that's how this training business started and, and Rob really reacted to that. Um and um you know, I don't know how many it took quite a few years before we got anywhere near to thinking it would be like this.
0: Yeah, I think um see I'm I'm a bit of a naive thinker. So the sort of first year I met Mark Mark kind of nurtured mm. me under his wing, gave me some books to read. I think it was quite funny because Mark had at least seven, maybe 10 buy to and he still lived with his mum. And he had this like little mini empire portfolio. No, I had fift- 20. <laughs> 20. <laughs> Who else in the world has 20 buy-to-let properties but still lives with their mum, <laughs> Mark? So, um, you know, when I met him, he was quite a far ahead of me. And so I was a bit green and keen and, you know, I learned a lot from Mark in those early years to try and catch up. And once I started to believe in myself, I started to think we could do everything. You know, we'll have the biggest this, we'll have the biggest that, we'll be multimillionaires, we'll do all this and that. So I definitely had this naive delusion that Progressive would be the biggest property training company in the UK, even though back then I didn't even know what it meant what does it mean? What's the turnover? What's the size of the customer base? You know, what's the impact? And then we figured that out over the years. So I tend to go, yeah, we can do this. This is going to be amazing. And then I'm like, oh, okay, how do we actually do it now? And then Mark would, you know, bring me back down to earth a bit, I suppose. And then we just go and figure it out. And yeah, it took, you know, you're not going to become the biggest property training company in the UK overnight, or even in a year. But I re- Do you remember when we launched our first property investing membership site? We launched it in two thousand and ten. We smashed our launch and we got twelve hundred members mm. in like our launch at thirty pounds a month. Thirty six thousand pounds a month. You know, we, we were barely thirty then. And I remember someone who worked for us, a head of marketing, he said, <clears throat> the name of the company, our biggest competitor, who were bigger than us. He said, they're all scared you're going to be the biggest. And I remember getting so excited about that. And I remember that was the day, 2010, I've decided we were going to be the biggest. And maybe back then it was ego-driven, you know, I want to have the biggest training no, company. No,
2: Rob, I can't imagine that, surely. Can you
0: can you edit that bit out, please? <laughs> um, but, but then it has to be bigger than just you because no one cares if I run the biggest training company or if Mark has the most properties. They care if we care about you and we do something useful. So... People like the fact that Mark has lots of properties in town if the accommodation is good and the tenants are happy. People care if Progressive have the biggest event, multiple streams of property income, or the biggest training company, if the community is good, if the education is good. And and I started figuring out it's got to be about, you know, our customers and our tenants and our investors and our community, not just about Rob's grand visions of, um, you know, world domination or whatever. But I'm pretty sure it was probably... 2015, 2016, we overtook them because you'd always go on company's house, you'd always, you're good at research, you'd always figure out roughly what the turnover was, how many events they did. Um now getting there was actually easier than staying there. Because now everyone copies progressive. Now everyone tries to nick our trainers, now everyone tries to nick our courses. Yeah, you know, I'm sure won't, Mark won't mind me admitting, me, you know, back in the day we used to go on other people's training courses and borrow some of their Strategies and Mark used to often go and just sit and watch and learn, and you know, and then after a while, we couldn't do that anymore. We can't now go to our competitor courses, they won't let us in, they know who we are. Um, but now everyone's doing that to us, and you know, to stay on top of the game that's a challenge. Which actually, you know, you asked me what's the vision for the training company staying where we are and continuing to offer the service and maintain. And um, the size and scale is—it's not easy to do. Easy to get there, not e- well. Easier to get there, not easy to stay there. So our
1: flagship
3: event is obviously Msope. So why do you think it's so benef- beneficial for people starting out or
2: just looking to go their portfolio? I think Msope, multiple streams of property income, is, is of such value because there are so many different options to create cash flow. Um, most people come to us looking maybe they're at a life-changing moment or they really need to create income and create income quickly Uh, and an event like that gives them the ability to see all these multiple avenues to create and replace the income that they had uh, in their job or or wherever else and they can network with other people whilst um, sort of learning about those things which makes it a lot more real um they swap a lot of ideas and it just sort of expands expands the mind and and because it's over a number of days a lot of those strategies really sink in um, and um, you know lots of people have just gone away and taken action straight after that event without you know other uh, you know other sort of further recourse
0: multiple streams of property income was born because there isn't just one way to invest in property And there are some people out there saying you only buy single lets or your single lets are not enough cash flow, only buy HMOs or only do commercial. And and in reality, depends on your area, depends on the amount of funds you have available, your own experience, the market. And we kind of went through the stages. Mm. So for many years, we were just teaching buy to let because that's all we knew. And then we started doing some multi-let because that started to work here. And, you know, when you bought... 20, 30, 50, 100 by to lets kind of can either get a bit boring, stroke easy, um, or you just think, I'm putting all this time into these many use, units. Why don't I get economies of scale? So we went from buy-to-lets to multi-lets to small offices to bigger offices to commercial conversions and learned all the different ways of investing and the upsides and the downsides. And, you know, we really believe at Progressive, we, anyone, should only teach what they've done. And there are people out there that see training as a, a quick way to make a buck and they probably do better in training than we, they do in property. But like I said, we've got a vast portfolio and it was always property first before courses and training. And all the 15 years we've run the hundreds of events a year, we've always been buying and developing property first because, you know, you can't teach what you don't know. And. Um, and, and we soon realized that property is quite a bespoke thing, depending on your circumstances. And no one in the country was doing an event that catered for it all. Everyone was like, buy-to-let's the only way, multi let the only way. We're like, wait a minute. What about if we ran an event whereby you could come and get a few hours of sort of preview and basic fundamental inform- information on each strategy, and then you can pick towards the end of that course which one or two or three strategies are right for you and of course the great networking progressive are, are, are pretty famous in the industry for being good at helping people do joint ventures raise finance and start with low money i even went to speak at one of our direct competitors we did a little bit of a deal and all the delegates were saying that you know people in progressive they seem to be the ones that are better at doing joint ventures and starting with low to no money down we never wanted to exclude every, anyone you know, we didn't want to be like, oh, well, you know, come and work with us, but you have to have half a million to start. That wasn't that's not that's not helping enough people. We want to help as many people as possible. Um, yeah, and and now multiple streams of property income. I don't know how many times we've run that event. Probably run that event between six and fifteen times a year for the last eight years. So it's a a pretty consistent thing. And then when you've done it so many times, you're able to just refine it and just you know get it tight and and accurate and um, really about Um, giving everyone what they want and need. Do you
3: have a time you wanted to quit and what made you keep going?
0: I never wanted to quit, but I often got thoroughly pissed off or um, would say to myself, you know, why are we facing these challenges now? So I can honestly say I never wanted to quit. Um, I wanted to quit art. I wanted to quit architecture. I wanted to quit at working at my dad's pub. So anything I did before I met Mark, before property, I wanted to quit everything. But um, I suppose once I got into property and bought, you know, probably a dozen buy-to-lets and bought them with Mark, I'm like, well, I can't just quit. (laughs) I'm kind of married to this guy. So that was good because it was accountability. But because I was in something I really enjoyed and I was inspired by, I never wanted to quit even when it was hard. And then also, if you do quit, well, what else are you going to do? What's better than property? What's better than running your own companies? You know, I managed to get us both fired from the only job we had together. So, why was I going to quit? So, no, I never wanted to quit because I was really clear on my vision. But yeah, at times it's damn hard. And at times you think, oh, well, you know, property's supposed to be easy, passive income. You know, you do get passive income, but sometimes you get active problems and, you know, why don't they just go away? Um, But no, I never wanted to quit, actually. Did you ever want to quit?
2: I don't think I've ever wanted to quit. I found things incredibly difficult um, at times. And um, you you just know if you keep on going and you don't stop, eventually you come out the other side of the difficult time. So, um, you know, that's sort of been my attitude um, I mean the last couple of years you know at times bloody hard you know you've got a good chunk of your business shut um, you don't know what to do you're learning you've got this massive sort of overhead and, and cash going out uh, and you're learning on your feet how to adapt you know how to change your business we had two big construction sites right you know operating 70 men on site um, you know right in the middle of lockdowns um, we had like rob says i don't know a further 80 90 people in this building through the middle of lockdowns um you know what are you going to do just quit uh, and just say do you know what i'll um this is this is difficult work and from I'm just home gonna, yeah work from home have an extra we'll, um, day off
0: in the week we'll we'll
2: we'll, <laughs> we'll 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 just disappear um and um yeah just just quit or work from home um and by the way you can Level as much uh, criticism and and, and and sort of stuff at me as you want. Um, you know, <laughs> this period has uh, um, has sort of changed me sufficiently and, and focused my mind enough to to to, to sort of be um, yeah really not bothered about any of that criticism. Um, but. Um, you know you, you you know you've got all of these people relying on you uh, your family your business partner all of your staff all of this 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 sort of infrastructure um, so quitting is just not an option and the, the, the reality is that if you keep going uh, you're probably ahead of I don't know seven out of ten of your competitors uh, Most because I quit well th- this is the key. Actually, Mark
0: actually has a list of them all in his phone.
2: I, I, I do. <laughs> yeah, I, do. I, keep, I keep a list of all the people who quit. Quit, bust,
0: or, in prison. Or, yeah. Quit, bust, exiled. I, I, I do,
2: because it is a reminder to me um, of, you know, um, the, 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 a, a, what happens when you quit, and B, why you don't quit. Because... The reality is, you don't, yes, you need to be better than your competition. And yes, you need to provide a really, really good sort of product service and you need to be more efficient. But actually, equal to that, those that are successful just keep on doing what they've found works without quitting and they persevere and they do that over a long period of time. And if they do that, they end up more successful and with a better business and, you know, with, I don't know more properties or whatever it is. You know your sort of metric, your your measurement for success. Uh, they, they they usually end up winning. Um, and for me, that is that's a huge part of my 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 psyche. I, I really really believe in that.
0: I mean, we've been doing this now pretty much sixteen years. And Mark had a couple of three years head start on me. So you know, twenty years experience and fifteen running. Property training business. There's been so many people come and give it the wow 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 wow, and then they're it's gone. It's
2: continuous. Yeah, wow 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 gone. They don't even smile anymore. They used to smile. Wah, 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 <laughs> gone. <laughs> Have you seen Pingu? Wow wow
0: wow wow gone. I'm fucking yeah. progressive. Wow <laughs> wow <laughs> gone, gone. Yeah. So yeah. you know you're your wise just to um keep on focusing on your vision and mission. You know, progressive vision is to help as many people on the planet invest for freedom choice and profit and we'll keep doing that we'll keep doing that for as long as we can and we won't quit
3: so on that progressive has helped thousands of people change their lives do you ever both just take a moment to reflect and think about how massive that actually is
2: probably not often enough um you know we were only talking earlier on today uh about Um, we should go out for dinner and we should celebrate some of these successes because actually we don't do that very often and we certainly haven't done that since March 2020 uh, but now it kind of <laughs> felt a bit wrong, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah let's celebrate! Well, we pack the pack the cars up, put them in the garage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to the, the
0: <laughs> Mark's like, "There's <laughs> a lockdown. Don't drive the Lamborghini." <laughs> yeah, yeah, the atom did, bought that and haven't driven it since.
2: <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I, um, it, it is huge, but yeah, we don't think about that enough, Rob.
0: No, we don't, Mark. No. And um, I mean, I can't speak for Mar, but I'm very boring and unsociable. I don't drink. I don't go out. I'm socially awkward. Um, No, we we should celebrate more. Um, But I don't know. I think if you want to be a successful entrepreneur or investor, I think there has to be an element of always wanting more, always looking for progress, always looking to be better, always looking to solve problems. Because I can tell you one thing that business and investing teaches you is if you chill out and relax and bask in your glory for longer than about 12 seconds, you will get chucked a problem. Mm-hmm. Always happens. So, um, yeah, because mm-hmm. if I, like if I recount some of the things we've done, we've broken public speaking world records. We've got 18 best selling books that we've written or launched between us or, you know, trainers like Kevin Macdonald have own hundreds of properties, manage thousands of properties. Got the, think, the top three biggest managing companies for real estate in our city. Um, We've got the biggest property training company in the UK. Between us, we're translated in at least a dozen languages for our books. We've generated hundreds of millions in revenue. We've raised high six figures, maybe low six figures in money for charities over the years we employ those 70 odd contractors obviously that's not forever but that and then the 80 90 of you guys here and god knows how many outsourcers and vas we have and outsourced editors that must be another 70 odd we pay millions in tax millions and yet we never go
1: oh we've done all right haven't we
0: we just go problems tenants government taxes Paid pretty much our biggest tax, well, we haven't paid it yet, but we've pretty much paid our biggest tax bill, haven't we, this year?
2: Um, Just, yeah, I'm not thinking about that. You're
0: not going to celebrate that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, maybe there's a lesson in that for us. Maybe we should celebrate more and smell the roses a bit more. But I just think business and investing for me is about fix it, it's broken, fix it, it's broken, fix it, it's broken, fix it, it's broken. Um, And I think you've got to learn to love the problems. So
3: how have you managed to be successful business partners for so many years? What's the secret?
2: I think it's really important to have uh, complementary skills. So you would um, sort of, if you were looking for a business partner and say you use the right side of your brain and, you know, you... You were looking for a business partner, you probably want the opposite. Somebody who, you know, you're analytical, you're really sort of checking into things and you're maybe good with numbers. You maybe want a creative, uh, somebody who's maybe good at selling, marketing, all that sort of stuff as your business partner. And that's really what Rob and I'm not sure we necessarily identified that in those terms when we met. But we started working together. Uh, we were employed somewhere else. And actually I think we both had an understanding that we were both really good at really core skills within a business, but they were completely different. Um, and when we put a, a sort of hierarchy together uh, after a few weeks in business, we worked out, you know, Rob's sort of responsibilities, my responsibilities, and then we moved forward on that basis. And then over, over the years, clearly, a huge part of your partnership is trust. Um, so, you know, you you, you know, and this is something that's easy to say, but something that's built uh, and destroyed over time. Uh, built slowly, destroyed very very quickly. Um, it, you know, you, you build trust with a business partner over a number of years. You know, a lot of other things don't really matter. Legal agreements, all this sort of stuff. Clearly, you need them, but you can't have a legal agreement for every scenario. Um, and you know, you, you, trust is a massive thing in business and it's so powerful and it can really sort of push you forward so much quicker if you've got that. Um, and I I think you know the the other sort of yeah it probably helped that Rob and I, you know, started, you know, I was 26, Rob was 27 when we went into business you know, and we've sort of grown up in business together, uh, which, you know, I, I don't think either of us would want to just throw that away. Um, you know, there's a lot of history, uh, a lot of stuff that we sort of have, have learnt together and, and sort of shared together uh, through those years. Um, and, you know, we, we sort of said to each other, you know, this is a, a partnership, you know, right through to uh, retirement. You know, we, we want to have sort of multiple businesses and, we, you know, and that's that's what sort of done and why would you throw something away that's successful
0: I would agree with all of that I think a couple of things to add we were very different but we we had similar interests or a similar vision we both wanted to be in property and we both wanted to be in business and that was a shared thing and both wanted to do it for a long time and not give up Um, I think it's great to have a business partner because you have accountability sometimes you might quit something, change something, let yourself off the hook, work a bit less hard. But if you've got a business partner, there's some level of accountability there. I think that's really good. Um, I also think if you want to maintain a partnership over the long term, you've got to learn to communicate effectively. And in, in the early, we'd never really fall out. But in the early days, we'd have a few little spats. And i guess i didn't really know how to communicate with a mark with mark in a non-threatening way without making him feel because he's a partner he's not i don't want to ever make mark feel that he's not a partner and it's difficult with communication because sometimes when you get frustrated or angry or challenged you know you can make people feel like that so for a year or two or three or five we were navigating mm-hmm. around getting to know each other and the best way to communicate and when to approach things and when to let things go and when to give feedback. So a few little unwritten rules Mark and I have is if I can sense that Mark strongly wants to do something stronger than I don't want to do it, I'll go with him. Like if Mark is like, no, no, look, no, we've got to do this and I'm not as passionate about that I'll just go with Mark's decision. I think often he does that with me. We can sense. I can sense when Mark's really bothered about something or not so bothered about something. And if he's not, he'll let it go. And if he is, I'll let it go. And then you've got to trust that person. It's no point coming back every sort of six months going, well, well, I didn't want to do that. And I knew that was going to happen. You know, and quite a lot of people are like that. Um, you know, and I think learning about your business partners and... Wanting to be a good business partner, the amount of people we see coming to the community, they go into partnership after six minutes, and after nine minutes, like, well, they're not delivering. They're not doing this. It's like, come on. I can't can't remember
2: any of those. No, that happens every
0: five minutes. But what Mark and I figured out, sometimes through a bit of disagreement, is you've got to talk these things through. So for the first six to 12 months, Mark and I were just, we were working together, but Mark was off with a lot of his sort of mates who we were looking to go to business with and I was doing coaching on the side and we were just a bit everywhere. And then we sort of had a chat and we were like, well, maybe we shouldn't be everywhere. Maybe we should commit. And we we actually had an unwritten rule, which we've both honoured to this day and there's no piece of paper that needs to be signed is, if Mark wants to go and set up another business wherever with whoever he can, cuts me in. If I want to go and set up a business, I can cut Mark in. That's one of the reasons why we have more businesses now. And what it means is Mark's not looking at me going, oh, what's Rob up to over there? And I'm not looking at him going, well, why is he over there? And a lot of people, when they're doing partnerships, they're doing other things as well. And they get pissed off when their partner's doing something else, mm-hmm. but they're off doing other stuff. And, and also not taking anything personally. I, you know, I know if I've ever been a bit upset or I've not felt that good about any interactions with myself and Mark. I can now work out one of three things as to the reason why, so if i'm ma- and it's not me, it's you know other external factors and if and if it is me I can that's the easiest bit if it's me, but now I can just understand someone and just let things go. I think I'm a lot better at letting things go, like what's important? not little stupid things what's important? your friendship, your partnership, your family, your empire your trust, who gives a shit about anything else? But maybe in the early days, little things were more important. So what
3: has been your most valuable lesson
0: in the last 15 minutes? <laughs> um, the government have a lot of power.
2: Yeah. <laughs> your biggest expense
0: in business is governmental expenses, insurances, regulations, laws and taxes. That's 70% of our overhead, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, well, the,
2: the whole private sector pays for the public sector. So, you know, clearly... Um, so why are we getting screwed
0: everywhere, then? The,
2: the, c- clearly, you know, taxation, regulation, um, government deciding to do stuff, I think has the biggest and most immediate impact. I didn't used to think this, but, you know, if we just think back, you know, the last couple of years, perfect example, they made a good chunk of one of our businesses illegal to operate. They just closed it. Um, Yes, we got some support, but minimal. And if we hadn't sort of kept the cash reserves and um, done all the other things, you know, digital and everything around it, then the business just would have gone bust. Despite, you know, sort of what's pumped out there in the media as to the support they've offered, the the, the reality is that it... It, it I was just PR. Yeah, of most of it was. Um, so, you know, that, that that's a huge thing. If I think to our sort of property businesses, clearly, um, if we'd just carried on with all our properties in sort of personal names or LLPs um, as, you know, had been set, as we had set up. Uh, ha- as we had set them up, um, you know, the way the government came along and and changed introduced Section Twenty Four. Um, if we if if we just left them where they were and carried on, uh, we'd now be paying more tax than we are receiving in net rent. So that business would have gone bust. Um, clearly, a lot of work went into that reformulating limited companies, all the rest of it. Um, you know, and over the years there have been various things. So. You know, for me, one of the, the biggest lessons um, is, you know, obviously to stay nimble, keep plenty of cash, um, you know, don't sort of overcommit, don't become overexposed, um, you know, have loads cash of cash trash, Mark. Keep, have, <laughs> have, have have really clever, good professionals around you, sort of accountants and lawyers uh, to help you when these things change and loads of other investors to, to find ways, you know, through this sort of stuff. Um, and you know another huge thing that I've learned over the last fifteen years is focus and distilling your time into um, things that are worthwhile. Um, lots of people. One of the, one of the questions that you know, sort of on on this sheet, is what are, what are the new opportunities that you're going into and what will you be investing in? Well, my response to that is, um, and yes, but you know, people sort of say, oh, Mark's a bit negative and whatever. It's but, but the, the honest answer is, what can I say no to? Uh, what can I decide not to do that, that therefore gives me the time to make sure that our existing businesses are operating in the most efficient way? Um, you know, sort of giving the most value to our customers and 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 making sure that we're offering the sort of best service. And I, I think in many ways, when you've already got businesses, that can be what drives the most success and the best outcome. What you say no to, what you focus on, and how you distill that focus and energy um, into sort of uh, in a gra- you know into a granular fashion, into you know sort of the real nuts and bolts of how your businesses work. Um, you know that that's um, that's so important. Clearly, later on, we you know if you've got cash and you want to invest, then you diversify, but you you reduce your returns, maybe you reduce the risk. Uh, but if you want to make lots of money from business, you need to really focus on it.
0: I'll give you a couple of quick ones. Property really does double every seven to 10 years.
2: <laughs> every 15 years.
0: Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> he thinks that, I think that, but um, it, re- it. we've been in it 15 years, you know, it does go up a lot. Um, I would say in every stressing hides a blessing. And when you think things are really hard, if you look hard enough, there's blessings in there. I would say when it gets hard, you need to get harder. Um, and I would say everything is figure outable and solvable no matter how hard you think it is. They're definitely mm. some good lessons for me. Have
3: you ever had like the most memorable property? Why? Ever had what? The most memorable property you've
0: ever had. Memorable. Yeah. Do you remember when Alex went to that property and someone had died and rotted through the floorboards?
2: We, we had one of those. I think in the last sort of I don't know three four years. Yeah, we we'd got we had one that yeah rotted through the floorboards. Mm. Yeah. So I remember Alex yeah. coming back. One of our tenants. Yeah. Yeah. They they, they obviously couldn't get hold of them. Tenants,
0: you reckon we've had die now? When you've been in it long enough. I did, I that's wouldn't... the only way to get some of them out.
2: Isn't <laughs> <laughs> I I wouldn't have heard. I mean, we we've had a we've had a couple of dying rooms. One had a drug overdose and I mean, very good quality like that.
0: accommodation.
2: Oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, he was just out clubbing or something. Um, and then they, yeah. they, they couldn't get him and obviously the police then just knock on the door and say, We have had a call and we've gone in there and this guy's died. Yeah. I our memorable most memorable ones, definitely the project we've just finished. Uh, I think the refinance is gonna complete on Friday. Um, we And
0: we are going to go out for dinner and celebrate.
2: Can't that, wait. It, I'm going to have a mojito. It, it's, it, we, we had a <sighs> steak. I've been spending sort of four years off and on on it. Uh, we've had it for yeah, about four years. Um, you know, it's, it's 124,000 square foot. There's 159 tenants in there, uh, 250 people living in the building. It's been valued at nearly 19 million. The rent is 1.34 million a year. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's been a huge endeavor. Um, and it's just, the refinance is just about to complete. We're just paying the development finance back. I'm gonna do a big sort of video on it. Um, so for me, that's, you know, that's been a chunk of my life. <laughs> um, a few hairs but, um, on the side there. And we built it ourselves. You know, we built it in-house, um, which, um, you know, <laughs> taught us all a lot, a uh, hell of a lot about construction. Um, And, uh, yeah, it's really, really sort of (laughs) been really, really satisfying.
0: I'll add a couple of little ones. That's obviously the most memorable. But um, the first property I ever bought that my dad helped me buy became our first office. We um, worked in there for about a year, maybe 18, 18 months, actually, probably. Um, That was quite memorable because we went down to Ikea and got some cheap furniture and we got a couple of 200 quid Dell computers. Um, You know, when the the screens used to be like that deep, um, like that. And that was progressive. So that's memorable. Um, We did all right working out of that little room, didn't we? Because it was was very cosy and sometimes a bit claustrophobic, but that was memorable. Uh, And then um, over there. So when we bought our first office. Which I think was, yeah, that building there, the near side. We have now four times the space of what we first bought, but we bought a little, was it about 290 grand? Or was that the, the
2: third? No, it one? was. Yeah, 200, I it, mean. It was 290. Yeah, yeah. And that
0: must have been, must have been eight plus years ago. I think it was 13. Okay, so nine years. Ooh,
2: not bad memory.
0: For an old boy with ginger bits and grey bits in his beard. Um, it might was, have has been that 11, gone up now.
2: Might have been Yeah, it's four fifty, something like that. Two ninety to four fifty—not yeah. bad on commercial yeah.
0: property. So that's memorable because that was our first office that we actually owned. <laughs> and of course, then we bought this, and this became the training suite. And then we doubled it, and then we doubled it again, and we may even be expanding more. So yeah, those two are quite memorable. And yes, we did do it—no money down.
2: <laughs> yes, it is possible. There was no money left in, wasn't it? We it was your dad. It, it was ref- your, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was bought your dad. Someone else's down. money bought it, refinanced it. Yeah, yeah, yeah we did do that. And we've got an eighty percent owner-occupier mortgage on it. I yeah, think, I think it was. Yeah, 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 it was yeah we good. bought this one for five
0: hundred, didn't we? And your um, your stepdad lent us the money. We paid him one percent a month.
2: This was yeah. This was five hundred. I don't know what this is now. Maybe seven something. Yeah, yeah.
0: but obviously we've um had it as our offices. We've, we've, we cram about 90 odd people in this building. I think there's six working in the toilet right now. It is pretty uh,
2: pretty rammed. I don't think it's unusual. You do Rob. I think Mark yeah, would
0: have us all like this. Oh, sweat ass the asset. Whereas Catherine's always coming to me going, there's not enough space. <laughs> so, is there anyone who inspires you the most in life and
3: business?
0: Um, But it says here we're not allowed to say family and friends. I
2: I always look at sort of Warren Buffett. Um, I think Charlie Munger, his business partner, is really interesting. You see a lot less of him, Uh, but I think he speaks his mind a lot more and um, speaks a lot of truths. Uh, I I enjoy watching him uh, on his videos.
0: um, They're quietly smug, aren't they? Yeah,
2: well, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Charlie Munger says (laughs) this.
0: The secret to life is no expectations. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is what? some truth. There is, yeah. yeah. There is I some mean, truth. I mean, Charlie Munger must be in his 90s now.
2: <laughs> I think they are. I think they Buffett in his must 80s. Be yeah. 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 So. Yeah, I, I really, I find those two inspirational. Um, quite controversial. I'm enjoying watching Nigel Farage at the moment. Um, you have some news
0: about that soon, Mark, uh, don't
2: you? Seven o'clock uh, every evening. Um, I, I, I usually tune in, there's a load of sort of political stuff. And um, yeah, I just find it's sort of uh, the antithesis to the mainstream media nonsense that goes on. <laughs> um, he, he, he calls a lot of it out, which is great. Uh, wasn't into all the Brexit stuff. Um, I'm, I'm sort of talking Post Brexit, um, so yeah, that, that's 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 a lot of fun watching him. Uh, I'd read a lot. I'd always have a, an audio book on the go, uh, you know, in the car, um, you know, and um, yeah, that's I'm, I'm listening to the Forty Four Laws of Power at the moment, which is quite oh, an interesting Robert Greene. It is quite interesting, <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's um, How to Win, Win Friends and Influence People was one of the early books which really sort of helped me, uh, probably went around doing the opposite most of the day. So. <laughs> really? It, it had you the, never? Uh,
0: it had a... The a, amount of times I <laughs> wanted to say to Mark, you remember that book you read, when yeah. he's being grumpy?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, lot lots of... Um, th- 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 the, the problem with sort of having these people you you put upon a pedestal is often they let you down. As you get older, you realise that everybody is infallible. They
0: say never meet your heroes, uh, don't they?
2: Yeah, and I, I I often watch people who eulogise about others, and and I I sort of I see I don't know I do feel a certain sense of naivety in that. You know what I mean? Or, or fit, feel some naivety coming from them because I, I just feel like in a few years they'll be disappointed. Just um, Mm. some of my uh, musings over the last month, (laughs) few months. (coughs) (laughs)
0: Um, This is a very difficult question for me because I think you can learn from everyone. And I think in the early days, I was like, oh, you can only learn off Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, you know, the billionaires. And in the end, like Mark said, they're fallible and they have downsides. I mean, Steve Jobs died at 48. I'm not inspired by that. I want to die when I'm 98 or 108 or whatever. So you know, every hero has their own weaknesses. And, and that was something I also learned. So try not to put anyone on a pedestal, try and put everyone equally, including the other way around, where sometimes you think, oh, they're just getting into property. They can't teach me anything. I always try and learn from everyone because I think you can learn from, from everyone. If I had to pick three, because I often get asked, I'd probably say Arnold Schwarzenegger because I think that he's been um in multidisciplined, wildly successful. And that's not common to be, you know, bodybuilding world champion, one of the highest paid actors in the world and then being governor of a state when you weren't even born in that country. That's rare. And I just I've met him and I just like his aura and his energy and he's prepared to speak his mind. And, you know, some people don't like what he says. So I would definitely say Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's probably the top person I'd like to get on my podcast, I would say. I'm often asked that question he would be number one, I would say, for Disruptors. Dr. John Demartini has probably taught me the most in life, certainly the the wisdom of, of balance, and I've thoroughly gone through a lot of his work mm. and spent time with him, and um, I would say he's inspiring. Um, I find Will Smith very inspiring because, again, he's multi-disciplined success. You know, if you think he was a musician in the early days, then in TV, then in acting, um, but if you read his autobiography... He's riddled with sort of pain and um, somewhat lacking ultimate self-confidence. He's very uh, open and, and honest about that. Um, so, so they would be my three. I would definitely say um, that Sheryl Sandberg, who was now it still is, I think number two to Mark Zuckerberg. She's built an amazing brand. She's obviously super rich. She's supported and stuck by Mark Zuckerberg, but become a brand in her own right and her husband. <laughs> passed away and she was very open about sharing that um so i think she's very inspiring too i'd love to meet oprah although mm, that, that 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 harry and Meghan thing it was know,
2: all was, fine until that oh, was it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you're saying if she if you could get her on your podcast you'd turn her down would you
2: well it, uh, no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um she should just rerun that interview and ask And be a bit uh, more provocative. Yeah, ask better questions. Yeah, because and not not allow. You no, know, she you was know, too
0: supportive, yeah. and um, yeah, she, yeah, she, um, yeah. Let's not talk about that that one. Um, but yeah,
3: so Mark's pretty much answered his interview question. But Rob, what makes you get up every day and want to go out and disrupt the world?
0: What makes me get up every day and want to disrupt the world? Um, because life is for living because if you didn't get up every day, you'd stay in bed every day. And so life is for living. We only get one life and one shot. And it's very wise to remember that when you think things are hard or difficult. Um, I want to make a difference on, on this planet. I, I want to be remembered. Yeah. I don't have to be remembered for 10,000 years, but I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't mind being remembered for a while. I'd certainly like to make an impact on lots of people's lives. And then when it comes to disruptive and disruption and disruptors, this brand I have, well, anything that becomes useful and valuable to people is disruptive at first. I'll just show you something. I screenshotted this because I sometimes think, because the downside of disruption and disruptive is you end up going around upsetting people and then you're like, I don't really like upsetting people. I'll do it, but I'm actually a bit soft and I'd rather not. But banks don't like Bitcoin. I'd agree with that because Bitcoin is disruptive. Taxis didn't like Uber because Uber is disruptive. Hotels don't like Airbnb. Shops don't like Amazon. Cinemas don't like Netflix. And I thought that's a good reminder that actually all those great things we all now enjoy and love, initially, the mainstream didn't freaking like them. So actually, I was Mark and I often talk in private and we're like, yeah, let's not say that publicly. Um, But I like how Mark pushes back at the government. Uh, And I think that we should push back against mainstream media or massive corporations or government or politicians if we believe that the systems are flawed. And that's what being disruptive is. And that's how you create change. And so that kind of gets me up in the morning. Ryan, last question. Favorite moment of progressive the last 15 years? Have
2: you had enough time to think about that now? (laughs) I I think some of my favorite moments were the super conferences. Um, You know, we had a huge, uh, I don't know, maybe 1,000 people, over 1,000 people. 1,200, yeah. uh, With Alan Sugar. Uh, We did a a big one with James Kahn. We did a big one with Bob Geldof. Um, They were exciting. They were really exciting. Standing on stage in front of over 1,000 people, they were all there at a progressive event um, and you know you sort of sharing the stage with some you know pretty big hitters that that was a lot of fun uh, that was really exciting interesting you didn't mention the Grant Cardone
0: one that was the biggest one
2: <laughs> how many people were there 1200
0: yeah I don't think I spoke on that stage one. yeah didn't you I? did didn't I? yeah did I forgot yeah. 2019 because you remember you were going around telling everyone that cash is trash
2: I oh yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> 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 Is cash trash, Mark? Uh, cash is definitely not trash. In fact, if it was, we wouldn't have an office full of people upstairs. Because let's be honest, lots of people come to work for that cash. thing that yeah. the Phoenicians <laughs> invented called money. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I think the whole sort of cash is trash notion, uh, you know, it, people love sound bites. People Ray love Dalio
0: says it. He's multi billionaire. People
2: him? people love sound bites. People love sort of distilling these things down to three something words. three words that they understand. And clearly there's there's a lot of there's a lot behind that. And I think what they're talking about is inflation. The the effect of inflation on cash uh, at the moment. If this if inflation is seven percent this year, if you've got a hundred pounds at the end of the year, you know it's it's worth ninety three pounds. So keeping cash. In an inflationary environment, isn't great, and we've always got inflation. Um, and also, you know, not investing it means you're not getting investment returns. Um, should you keep some cash, keep liquid? Uh, absolutely. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's surely about balance, isn't it? It's about having some cash, about having some equities, you know, lots of property, uh, and and business. Um, um yeah all of all of one thing is, is is never a good idea but is cash trash uh should we put it in the bin uh, should, should should we This is trash
0: this is trash yeah, should
2: we just get rid of it no it's uh, not not put it all into bitcoin uh, I mean, the fiat
0: system is fucked
2: well um <laughs> i some money in bitcoin is obviously a good idea rob all of your money in bitcoin I think this
0: is what the yeah, Bitcoin evangelists. Yeah, talk I know.
2: About. I've heard. I've heard all of this.
0: Fiat is th- yeah, a scam.
2: I think it's nuts. Yeah, I know I know. It's, this I is why I'm winding you up about it's it. It's completely mate. nuts. I know. It's yeah, hilarious. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, Bitcoin could. Um, you know, it's probably the most Go likely of all the cryptocurrencies to do to do well. And you know, we've got some Bitcoin. And it's a great thing. But to put all of your assets, or, or sort of over fifty percent, as I know some people. Um, do I? I just find that nuts.
3: Yeah.
0: Mm. Mm. Favorite moments. This is really difficult. I I enjoyed it when we went and bought that Ferrari four thirty because for me that was like a little moment. You and I went down there that together was a fun, in yeah. in a taxi, and you know we'd always dreamed of having a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. You know, we, young young lads who like cars. And I remember going in and looking at it. And I was all excited. And Mark's like, "You just." Go piss off over there. Let me do the negotiating. Anyway, you know, 24 hours later, Mark's ground this guy down. Uh, I got, probably got
2: 500 quid out of No, him, you did, did I? good, mate. Did
0: mate yeah. We paid 70 odd grand for that, yeah, didn't we? And yeah. so, no, 60. 68 and sold it for 65 or the other way around. And we owned it it for years and we we put 40,000 miles
2: on it. It was good.
0: (laughs) You love the value on that. So that was, for me, that was a landmark moment because to be able to go and buy a Ferrari and we paid cash for it, we didn't put a loan on it. That was a moment which was like, wait a minute, we're doing all right. So that was definitely fun, and the experience of it, and then Mark driving it back like he'd stolen it, thrashing it back. Did you I? Made, yeah, you did, because <laughs> Mark's a good driver, I'm not, Mark's a good driver, and it had the manual gearbox, I and mean, he was thrashing. Ugh. And you made me wait about a week before I could drive it. Did I? Yes, oh, and then I stole God. it three times on the high street. Oh, in Cowgate. Yes. <laughs> <I remember> that. <laughs> um, that was fun. I'd probably say the most meaningful, in terms of making me feel fulfilled and not just childishly excited, <laughs> It was just the amount of people in the community that have retired or built a portfolio or
2: are could, in full time. I wish we could see that sort of live and just have it up yeah. on the wall because that would be like so inspirational. do inspir- those seminars yeah. with
0: everyone in the background. That would
2: be so inspirational in the office yeah, for, for, for people to see. Because there's yeah. hundreds of them. I mean, back in the day,
0: we almost used to count them because we were much smaller. And, you know, you had people like Trevor Cutmore and Jill Orton in the early days who came through. And then, you know, now people like Katie Wilson, who's now one of our trainers in the, in the latter days. So to know that there are thousands, tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of people that in some way are impacted by you, whether they just buy a couple of buy-to-lets for a pension or they're actually full-time in property or they're just living off their properties. That's, that, that's the most memorable thing
1: about what we've done, I would say.